If you turn tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll pick up in verse 19 and uh, finish up the chapter here. But there's an important subject that we find here at the end of chapter 9 that I think is worth mentioning before we dig into the word tonight. Because there is a constant battle in modern Christendom over this issue of relevance. In other words, being culturally relevant. And very often, two extremes are talked about. One of them is culturally relevant simply means doing the old thing the old way and trying to cram it down a new group of people's throats. And to some people, cultural relevance means that you throw out God's word and you do anything and everything as long as at the end of it you go, Jesus! Neither of those extremes are taught in Scripture. But there is absolutely what I would call a Christian chameleon, someone who's able to adapt to that specific situation that God puts them in to be at the best advantage that they can possibly have for the sake of the gospel, for the power of the word, and ultimately to see people come to faith in Christ. And that means that in certain situations, church may be under a tree, that people can actually be saved by using their cell phones in church. (gasps) That people actually can wear shorts to church and they're not going to hell. Hallelujah. That you can wear a hat to church and the Holy Spirit can still get in there. You see, we've come to almost honor tradition over the word of God. And instead of being relevant to the culture that we're speaking to, instead of taking the time to consider the flock of God that we're actually ministering to, we're trying to give them the old way in a new day. And it rarely is effective. And so we find here the Apostle Paul speaking to this very issue in the race that we call the Christian life. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the ability that we can have to adapt in those moments where we need to be to a Jew, a Jew, to a Greek, a Greek, a Gentile, a Gentile, to a millennial, a millennial, to a Gen Xer, a Gen Xer, Lord, to those cultural situations that we find ourselves in, Lord, in a Western culture, we can be Western, Lord, in a Latin American culture, we can be Latin American. And Father, we thank you that the gospel reaches across those boundaries. We thank you that your truth is what truly matters. We pray that your sanctity, 
Lord, your holiness would never be compromised. But Lord, we'd recognize that there are new ways for new days. Help us to walk in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Racing in relevance tonight. Verse 19, the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, Though I am free from all men. In other words, the Apostle Paul has looked at his own life and he said, because of the grace of Christ, because of the grace of God, because of what God's done in his life, the Apostle Paul is not bound to men. He's bound to God. When I get up in the morning, my goal is to not simply serve people. It's first and foremost to serve the Lord. My eyes are on heaven. My goal is not to try and please men, it's to please God. And so in that sense, the Apostle Paul is free. He who the Son has set free is free indeed, amen? Amen. So you're free to be who God created you to be, to be in the culture that God's placed you in. You're not free to sin, you're free to be sinless, And to sin less, but you are free in that sense. Paul then goes on to say something that seems a little strange. I've made myself a servant to all. So he's free, but in order that he might be useful to the kingdom, he has said this. I make myself a servant to anyone and everyone for the right reason. And he tells us why that I might win the more. I might win some. I might just simply be able to draw the person wearing the hat, the person wearing the short, the one with the iPad. You understand what I'm saying? You see, we've got in our heads that unless you're carrying a big leather-bound King James Bible and you've got a shirt and a tie, and your shoes are polished, that somehow the Holy Spirit is not working in your life. And while I know that's an extreme way to explain it, it is very true because many of us are prejudiced as to how the Holy Spirit can work, and when the Holy Spirit can work. And unless it looks and feels exactly a certain way, God forbid that there are colored lights. The Holy Spirit is Ichabod. He's left the building. The Apostle Paul is now going to lay waste to that thinking. And he's going to do it in a way that I think reaches our hearts. You see what he's really saying here is he could vary the style of his message. He could vary minor matters. He could take the things that you and I might say, well, I'd prefer to do it this way. I'd prefer it looked like this or it sounded like that. Let's face it, the king's English sounds more holy, amen? For thou, O Lord, art majestic in the heavens. God, you're really kind of cool up there. You know, let's face it, there's, there's a certain flow to certain words and to the way we express, our, express ourselves. And for some of us, that's an issue that can matter to us. And while 
it is something that's important to you. It's not necessarily the only way that God can work. Can I tell you that God probably doesn't speak in King James English? He speaks to the heart of every man. He's going to reach you right where you're at and exactly who you are and where you are. He probably speaks every language in the universe fluently and whatever you need, that's what you're going to get. In that sense, he can change color to his environment. He can change tone to his environment. He can become all things to all men for the sake of winning some. You see, Paul never compromised the important thing, and that was the substance of the message. The substance of the message was the real gospel, that there is one Son of God. That one Son of God died on Calvary's cross. He declared himself to be the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Paul never compromised the gospel. Paul never compromised the truth. But he very often, in those things that don't matter, would allow church to look like it needed to look to reach that group of people. I know we're in the island of Kauai, and we're walking by a church, and you know we're hearing this angelic choral music coming out of there, and we look, and you know, here's hula going on in church. I mean, hula dancers. I mean, for sure that can't be of God until you realize that they're talking story with their hands. That they're telling the story of Scripture with the dance. You see, some of us might say, well, you know, God's not in that. Tell that to a native Hawaiian. It reaches heart, it reaches soul, it reaches mind. I'm not saying we're going to have Hula Sunday. You do not want to see me try and do that. Not a pretty sight. But I am saying God can use Hula. You, you see, there are people that would disagree with that. <laughs> no way. Scripture disagrees with you. Each of us has got a race. Each of us has a place. And we're to run it. And some of you have been called. You know, sometimes when I listen and I, I've been around people, uh, you know, or heavily involved in in sports and as I talk to them they talk sports you sit around and talk to a football player um, you better be prepared to speak football you talk to a and that's football as in American football that's not football as in the rest of the world knows it's also known as soccer here in the United States You, you see we need to be able to speak to the audience that God's given us. We need to be relevant to that culture. We need to be able to adapt and take the timeless truths of Scripture and take the gospel where it's needed. 
Can I tell you, most of the time in church, I'm preaching to the choir, amen? I'm speaking words of truth to people who largely already know the truth. So I need to make sure that when I have the opportunity to speak to a group that hasn't heard the truth, that they can understand it. You, you, you go down and do a, you know, like we just had the Labor Day Love-a-thon down in Huntington Beach, and you sit there and you look at what's going on down there, and you, we probably wouldn't do it here on Sunday morning, but on the beach it makes perfect sense. And I literally was talking to a couple of guys and go, well, you know, there were girls in bikinis. Oh, yeah, it's the beach. And probably some of them need Jesus. So you can either ignore the fact that they need Jesus and and withdraw yourself, or you can focus on the good news of the gospel, preach it, and reach out to them. Your choice. And not everybody's been called to it. Not everybody's been given that lane to run in, but some have. And so let's not condemn the ones that have been called to run in that lane. Let's encourage them and strengthen them and build them up. Maybe that lane's not for you, but it might be for somebody else. And if the gospel's being preached and people are coming to faith in Christ, then perhaps we ought to focus on the main thing which is seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus in the first place. How do we do that? Paul stayed free of philosophical positions and material entanglements. He didn't wander around worrying about, in essence, what other people thought about what he was doing. And I can tell you, I'm in a place and time in my life where I really don't care what other people think about what God's called me to do. I know God's speaking. I know God's moving. I know he's at work, and I know we're seeing fruit. And so what other people think of that is really not my concern. What my concern is, is what does God think of it? What is God doing? And wherever that is and whatever it is, I want to join him right there. And so Paul speaks to this issue of cultural adaptation or relevance. He was, in fact, a bit of a chameleon. He changed colors. And he tells us three sensitive groups he's going to speak to to explain that to us. He was absolutely situationally flexible. He didn't have to look the same every single day. And if something happened, Paul flexed with it. I hear constant phrases that are used in Scripture. Well, I don't want to cast my pearl before swine. Can I just tell you, I was a swine when someone cast pearls my way. Can I tell you that? I was dead in my trespasses and sins when the gospel was preached to me, and maybe I looked like a good little church boy, but I can tell you that's not what was going on inside of my head. And so we make the assumption that because on the outside somebody's acting out or they look a certain way or they act a certain way that somehow they're unworthy of the gospel message being preached to them. Can I tell you that is a death nail to the evangelistic 
commission that we've been given by God. If you're going to pick and choose who's worthy to receive the gospel because of the way somebody looks or the way they act, chances are you're going to have zero fruit in your life. Because hurting people come in all different shapes and sizes and colors and all different situations in life. We need to do what Paul did. We can't be stuck in stasis. We can't be concerning ourselves with status quo. Well, we did it this way last year. Last year may have been perfect for last year. But maybe it's not okay for this year. So let's be open to change to whatever God wants to do. We don't have to compromise to do that. We don't have to violate the Holy Spirit. We don't have to violate our conscience. And we don't have to violate the word. We just need to be sensitive to what God is saying. There were three groups here that Paul was sensitive to. And I want you to see them. Pretty clear. By saying Jews, he meant Jews. Now, now the Jewish people were tough to reach. In fact, the Jewish people are still tough to reach. It's difficult. They have a clean and a clear understanding of who God is, and they have the most well-formulated monotheistic religion in the history of mankind. And they've been teaching that for more than 2,000 years, the way that it is currently understood today. So when you talk to somebody who's in the Jewish faith, you can expect them to be very Jewish. So if you approach it as well, you know, they're Jewish. And we're Christians. If you're unwilling to celebrate Shabbat, if you're not willing to listen to why they might be celebrating Yom Kippur, which is coming up, the Feast of Atonement, if you can't stand the fact that they're going to celebrate trumpets, tabernacles, the feast days, if you won't get engaged at that level, chances are you're going to be very ineffective at reaching somebody who's Jewish. If you just call out the problems with it, And granted, here in this body, I I need to point out that there's no salvation in the law. Paul does that. But he doesn't just simply slam the fact that they're celebrating the law. He even preached to them, though I myself am no longer under the law, I have become as one who is under the law. Notice what he says, verse 20. To the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. In other words, he actually kept the law so that he'd have the opportunity to share the gospel with someone who was under the law. That's the ability to adapt. That's the ability to change. And it's so important for us. He wasn't making a new gospel. He wrote a whole book, the book of Galatians, to that end. 
condemning that very thing. It's look like you're not saved by being Jewish. But if you're Jewish, let me preach the Messiah in context to you so that you can get to know him. It's so important for us to remember some of these things. And again, make no mistake, Paul was not saying, nor am I saying, nor does Scripture bear witness that we ever compromise the Word of God or we ever compromise the Gospel. Never do we do those two things. But it's not going to kill you to go to a Jewish feast. You're not going to lose your salvation because, you know, you celebrated Yom Kippur with your Jewish friend. Paul adapted to that. And it was very, very, very fruitful for him. And admittedly, it was a difficult line to walk. Remember, he himself was a Jew. And so he could have been pulled back into that. But he never compromised. He just simply said, look, I want to reach my Jewish friends. Now let's modernize this. You've got people in your life who have all manner of things going on in their life and just simply because they are not saved, if you cut them off and you will not ever hang out with them, you won't go to a ball game with them, you won't go to the beach with them, you won't have a meal with them because God forbid that they have a beer. And again, Pastor Jeff did not just say you should go have a beer. Am I clear? Okay, good. But what Pastor Jeff did say is you're not going to lose your salvation, nor will you lose your witness just simply because someone sat at a table and had a beer next to you. That person needs to know Jesus. And if you just simply get rid of all your non-Christian acquaintances and friends, who is going to preach the gospel to them? So be careful. That's where you need to realize you've been called to some relevance here in this world. You need to be able to sit down and say, look, I'm redeemed, I'm cleaned, I'm cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Now notice what I didn't say. I didn't tell you go sin with them. I didn't say you pick up a habit that might ruin your life. What I did say was, everybody's not saved. And if you don't hang around with people who aren't saved they may never know Jesus. You need to have some unsaved friends. You need to be not so afraid of other people's sin that the one who's in you isn't greater than your friend's sin. I've seen Christians that say, well, you know, I never go over to their house because they have a TV. Now look, I'll be the first one to tell you 95% of what comes out of a TV other than the Dodgers... is sewage, okay? Let's, let's be honest. Again, I'm not saying go bathe yourself in the stuff of the world. I'm saying, look, if you go over to somebody's house and you get an opportunity to share the gospel with them, you know, you're not going to be killed by seeing you know, Bambi. We, we go through all these things. Well, I don't go to Disneyland, and I don't go to SeaWorld, and I don't go here, and I don't go there, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, and it's all about what we don't do, and consequently, we don't reach the people who are there. Be careful. You can become a legalist. 
And before you know it, well, I only preach the gospel to good people, people worthy of being saved. Paul never conceded to the regulations. He never kept the law for the sake of the law saving him. He just simply kept the law with these people so he had an opportunity. Can you imagine? He's celebrating the feast days with his Jewish friends and he starts telling them, did you know this actually points to Messiah? And they're like, huh, what? Yeah, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know when the high priest goes in and he sprinkles the blood on the middle of the Ark of the Covenant inside of the holy place and he atones for our sin? Jesus did that for us. You see, now nobody was ever saved because of the atoning blood sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant, but it was sure a picture. And so Paul said, I'm going to, with my Jewish friends, I'm going to celebrate with them. It's a beautiful picture of running the race to win, being relevant in the right type of context. To the Gentile believers, and you can imagine, I mean, they did all kinds of crazy things. Verse 21, to those who are without the law, as without the law. He's literally saying to people who are Gentiles who don't have any law in their life. You might even say they're amoral. They don't know the Lord. They're heathens. You realize what the Apostle Paul is saying? I hung out with heathens. Wasn't that exactly what Jesus was accused of doing? Well, you know, he hangs out with prostitutes. And again, Pastor Jeff didn't tell you to go hang out with prostitutes. He's with publicans and sinners. what they accused Jesus of doing. Paul's saying the same thing. He said, look, without the law, I became as one without the law. He went over to Baal's barbecue and had himself a burner. He said, slice some of that fat back right there onto my sandwich, please. That I might win those who are without the law. You see, he wasn't doing it for just any old reason. He was doing it so he had an opportunity to share Christ with people. He wasn't just going and hanging out in places he shouldn't be so he could be there. He was there for the right reason. And some of you in here are mature enough and strong enough to be in places that other people should not be. Some of you have no business in some of those places. For others of you, you are strong enough and God has called you to share it with those people in those bizarre places. Our very first missions trip to what was then still Yugoslavia, we're in this little town called Subatica. And, and I remember I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, where, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And so we asked some of the local people, well, where does everybody hang out? Uh, well, the bar. 
my Baptist in me was like, they're going to hell. <laughs> Woo! Fry them, Lord. Because you know what they're doing in there. There's probably some drinking and fornicating going on. But you know what? We saw half a dozen people come to faith in Christ by the preaching of the gospel in a bar. Amen? Again, I'm not telling everybody, go to your local bar. I'm saying there are going to be times in your life, specific times, when God calls you to do things that are your race for you to run. Run it. Run it. I wouldn't have planned it. It took me a long time to even be able to admit to it. Yep, that's where we were. Figured for sure Chuck was going to fire me. You see, Paul had a winning strategy. To the weak, notice what he says. To the weak, I became as weak. In other words, he recognized there were people that were not as mature as he was. And so to the weak people, he didn't sit around with people who had problems and, you know, here, let me help you have your sin back. He became as someone who was weak himself. He said, look, I'm going to struggle like you're struggling temporarily so I don't put you in harm's way. I'm going to take my liberties. I'm going to set them aside. Because I don't want to do anything to stumble you. I just want you to know Jesus. And so the Jew, he became a Jew. To the Gentile, to, to the Greek, he became a Gentile or a Greek or even one might say someone who's a pagan. He did not himself become a pagan as unto them so that he could relate to them. He says, look, if, you, if you're going over there, I'm going over there. We're going to sit and talk. Not so that I can be in your sin, but if this doesn't compromise my walk, this doesn't compromise the word, if this does not compromise the only way that anyone goes to heaven, I'm in. I've gotten a handful of letters about our church trips to the Dodger game. And some of them have gone like this. Well, they drink. Others have gone like this. They cuss. There's people with scantily, they're scantily clad. Yeah, they need Jesus. And when they see several hundred people who love Jesus all wearing Got Jesus t-shirts, they're kind of stopping their drinking around us. They're, they're kind of wondering whether maybe they ought to act a little more appropriately around us because we're being different. We're not over there, hey, bring the kegger over here. We're preaching Christ with our lives. And we're enjoying a Dodger game. Be careful. To the weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men that by all means, notice this, there's a little slight variation in the original language there. Not just all things, but by all means in all things. 
any way possible that I can get the good news of the gospel into somebody's hands, I want to do that. And again, not in compromise, but in methodology. How do you reach them? Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. Remember what Jesus said. We just covered this in John's gospel. The whole story of the vine, the story of the fruit. It's like, if you're a believer, there's going to be some fruit. And hopefully there's more fruit. But God wants much fruit from our lives. Sometimes you go into uncertain situations with uncertain outcomes so that you can preach the only certainty in this world and that is Christ crucified for the remission of sin. Don't forget that. Don't become bound up in methodology. As we run the race, Paul reveals really a winning strategy for us. There are several basic principles here. And you can kind of see them. Look, we need to sometimes just learn to find some common ground with people. Amen? We need to avoid the the kind of the know-it-all. Well, like we're Christians and you're not. That's pretty obvious. It should be from your life. There's going to be a difference about you that should be tangible. People are going to see that. You, you don't need to go overboard with that. You know, you don't have to like glue the four spiritual laws to your forehead. You can kind of be stealth sometimes. You're not in sin because you do that. Every once in a while, I'll see somebody on PCH, and there's a handful of guys that I guess they think they're preaching the gospel, you know, because they have really big signs that say, everyone on the street's going to hell. I'm pretty sure they haven't led a single person to faith in Christ. Because whoever that God is, I'm not sure anybody wants to know him. Because he apparently hates everybody. Be careful. You see, we need to be sensitive to other people's needs and concerns. You know, there's a lot of lost people in this world. And they need the Savior. And you've been sent out to show them the Savior. Don't miss that. Don't miss your opportunities. Look for those opportunities, in fact. I don't know which ones of of these things need the most attention in your life. And I can't tell you where your opportunities actually lie, but I can tell you God has them for you. Because to each one, Scripture says, he has given at least one spiritual gift. And if nothing else, it is the living of the gospel so that other people can know Jesus. So live for him. Wherever you are, live for him. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? It's kind of like a duh moment, right? 
until you see somebody who's actually in a race who's not running. There are those people. There are people who, for whatever reason, the gun goes off and they stumble out of the gate and they're just done. The whole point of this race of life that we've been called to is to run. You don't have to run as fast as the the person next to you, but we all are called to run. One receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. You know, one of the great things about the endeavor of human sport is the fact that there is individuality in the race. Your best time, my best time. You may not win, but you have done your best and I have done mine. Some of the most poignant things in the Olympic Games are always those who don't win. But they manage to get their personal best and they're thrilled about it. That's all God's looking for. He wants your personal best. He wants you to get in the blocks and when the gun sounds, he wants you to run. He's not asking you to run my race. Or Pastor Dave's race or Pastor Brad's race. He's not asking you to run someone else's race. He's asking you to run your race and run your race as best as you can. We need to be willing to give our complete effort and our full attention to it. There were two games in Paul's time. One we know about, the Olympics. Those were underway by that time. The other were actually held in Corinth, the Isthmian Games. The city of Corinth actually sits on an isthmus, which is just a narrow strip of land that that takes this large portion, almost like an island, and now that there's a canal there, it really is at times an island. But people would prepare all year long for those games. You know, you're not going to do very well in the race if you never prepare you know, if, if, if your preparation is going to the buffet every day, <laughs> the only race you're running is to the cardiologist. <laughs> Amen? And, I, and I'm not saying that to pick on anybody. I'm simply saying if you're going to run the race, you have to prepare yourself like you're running the race. Look, I'm running. I'm going to get out. And man, if all I can do is jog, I'm going to jog at first. If you've got to crawl, crawl first. Then jog. But athletes would come from all over Greece. And it was true that the winners received the highest honor, but they honored every single person who competed. God's going to honor every single person who competes. You are going to stand before the judgment seat of God where he will reward you for those deeds done in this body, in your flesh. There's some, they're getting the gold medal, and you might get the silver, but you're all going to get rewarded. So just run your race. There may be somebody with a whole bunch of gold around their neck. Get into the game. 
Do your best to emerge as a victor. Be diligent. Deny yourself. Be dedicated. Covet the victory. It's one of the very few times in our Christian walks where we're supposed to be covetous. I, Paul said, want the very best gifts. I want everything God wants for me. Another thing. These athletes would give up anything to obtain that prize. And I mean anything. They would starve themselves. They would alter their diets. And so Paul says here, run in such a way that you win. Give up what you got to give up. Get rid of what you need to get rid of. Adapt where you need to adapt. Be what God wants you to be. Exercise self-control. Be strict. Can I tell you that one of the fruits of the spirit, which is love, is self-control. It's self-control. It's saying, I'm going to resist the temptation to not prepare well. I'm going to resist the temptation to be spiritually lazy. Why? Because you want to win. You know, we, we all sign up. We have our own little rec basketball league here. Nobody sign up. Could you please put me on the losing team? Who does that? Why compete in the first place if, you're, if you know you're going to be loser? Amen? You're at least going to put some, you need to learn the game, right? At least we can do that much. That takes some diligence in and of itself. Why Paul writes about there in Galatians 5. He's saying, look, it's, it's all part of this racing thing. We ought to be willing to sacrifice for the Lord. And so Paul says that. I've become a slave to everyone. I, I'm just going to give up what I need to give up so that I can win them to Jesus. I'm going to go where I need to go so I can win them to Jesus. I'm going to be relevant where I need to be relevant, but I'm never going to compromise the truth. I want to give God my best on his terms in every situation that I find myself in. Paul had a goal. Paul had a goal. Do you have goals for the Lord? Do you have goals for the Lord? Have you ever thought about that? You know, I want to do this for God. And, and maybe that's just change, changing some behavior that you have. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's some kind of action. I don't know. But do you have goals for the Lord? Lord, I'm committing myself to you in this. For some of you, that might be reading your Bible more. For some of you, that might be praying more. For some of you, that might be fellowshipping more. For some of you, that might be serving more. For some of you, it might be dying to yourself in some area of life. But for all of us, we can set some goals and say, God, I want to do this for you. Because I want to win for you. Because that's what's going to happen at the judgment seat. You're going to take your crown, you're going to give it to Jesus. Because in his presence, you're not going to be worthy of wearing a crown. So you can give it to him. Look, I won this for you, Lord. One of the great joys of parenthood is when our kids do well and they receive some kind of award. Amen? 
And you're sitting there, your smile goes, it wraps around your head and comes back around and goes back to your mouth again. You know, when they're holding their little certificate, it might have been from second grade and they had the best clay blob that fell on the floor or whatever it is. That's my boy. You know that God does that with you? God is proud of you. He says, that's my daughter. That's my son. They're running to win, and they did this for me. He's not looking at how dumb the clay thing is. Connie and I, we have a cedar chest, and it's like, we've been married so long, it's actually full. So we, we open it up. It's like, well, we can't get anything. Do you have any paper things we can put in there? We can still get a couple more sheets inside. But every once in a while, I'll lift up the lid and I'll just pull a few things back. And man, there are those things that our kids made when they were five or six or seven. There's those little awards, the perfect attendance things and all that kind of stuff. And they still bring me joy. Why? Because they worked hard. God thinks the same thing of you. He doesn't care that it doesn't actually eternally make, you know, some humongous impact. He cares that you cared. He cares that you gave it your best. He doesn't expect you to be me or me to be you. He just wants you to do what you can do. And me to do the same. And he opens up that chest and goes, man, look what Jeff did for me. Look what Dennis did for me. Look what Randy did for me. And that was awesome. We want to make God proud. That race is not a short race, family. It's a long, long race. It's going to last your entire lifetime. You're going to run lots of different stages. I ran my sophomore year in high school in the Mount Sac Invitational. And they were still running the steeplechase portion of it at that time. I don't even know if they even do that anymore, which is a relay race. But it's a cross-country relay race. And you're watching the people in front of you do their time. At that time, about six and a half minutes was really good for that mile and a half or so really good and I remember thinking to myself man if somebody in front of me blows it it doesn't matter what I run I could run my best time and we're still gonna not win nobody's running in front of you nobody's running behind you you're running your race period it's you We win together, but each one of us runs our own race. That's a long one. You have to practice the strategy of winning. You've got to be engaged in that. And it takes really hard work. 
when you, when you first start long distance running, it's not like you immediately get out on the, and the first thing you do is run a 10K or maybe a half marathon or heaven forbid, a full marathon. You're lucky if you can throw down a couple of miles. You got to work up to it. And the same is true in your Christian walk. There are things that somebody like me who's been in the ministry a very long time, they're not going to be that big a deal for me. And it might be really, really tough for you but that means I don't have to put the effort in that you do. You actually would put in more effort to get to some place that's maybe not quite where I already am. God honors your effort. Not looking at my effort to see where I'm at. He's saying, you've never been there before. Praise God. And he loves it when you do that. When you throw up your new best time in your walk with the Lord. When you put down your best distance you've ever run and then you give your best time at that best distance and then you increase it and then maybe you do it more than once in the same week. You have to possess some vigor, some stamina. Can I tell you, the people in the grandstands never get that experience. They don't know what it's like. They don't have any idea. They're just watching. Any of you have ever been to a track and field meet? And you sit there, especially the, the, the middle and long distance track events. You're like, okay, lap 54. It's like round and round. But I guarantee you the people on the track, that's not what they're thinking. It's like, I got this. Bell lap's coming up. You can see their stride beginning to lengthen. You can see their arm swing speeding up. You know they're about ready to kick it into that final gear. What they've got left is going to be left on the track. Are you willing to leave everything on the track? Paul did. Verse 26, and therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He changes to pugilism here, to martial arts, to cage fighting, if you, whatever. But he's not in there just shadow boxing. He's taking on a real opponent and that real opponent's after you as well. His name is Satan. There's going to be a real boxing match in your life. And you're going to have to be willing to throw some blows and take some. You're going to have to be willing to stand in. I will never forget my first experience in a full contact karate match. And I'm standing off the edge of the mat and I'm watching the mat before me and I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt. That's all I could think of. This is going to hurt. You know, I'm watching and you watch somebody take a, you know, flying heel kick to the back of their head and they're sprawled out on the mat and you're going, I'm not sure. Then all of a sudden you take one of those. 
And then you take that knife edge right underneath your ribs and you go, you know, that hurt, but I'm going to get you. You take a couple more and after you've been hit a few times, it's like, this dude ain't got nothing on me. And you come back with great tenacity because you've already taken a few blows. You see, some of you have never taken any blows for the Lord. Some of you have never bothered to step into the ring. You've never thrown on a gi. You haven't put on the gloves. You haven't donned the headgear or the chest protector. You've not gotten in the ring, so you have no idea, and so you're just afraid of the fight. But I can tell you this, greater is he who's in you than he's in this world. And you are more than a conqueror through him who loves you. But you've got to get in. You've got to trust God with that. You have to get in to win. Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. He wasn't going to let anything stand in the way of victory. That doesn't mean that he won all the time. But there was no lack of effort on Paul's side of the equation. If he got thumped, if he got beat up a little bit, if there was a thing that happened in his life, it wasn't because he wasn't prepared and it wasn't because he wouldn't get in the ring. The enemy may have gotten the upper hand temporarily. But one day when you're standing on that platform and the king of kings, think of this, the king of kings says, well done. That's something I want to experience. So I want to run. I may take a few lumps and bruises. I may not always succeed, but I'm never going to be accused of not getting in the ring. I'm not going to let God down that way. I don't want him to look at my life and go, well, you almost got in. I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. That means that you take your life and you say, unto Jesus. You're the coach. You say I can win, I'm going in. Lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And one of the things that, and I will just share this out of a, out of a burden of my own, my own heart, my own soul. That's one of the great fears that I have for all of us in ministry. We do this, in essence, for a living. We preach to others for what you would call a vocation. We are professionals in ministry. But what Paul was saying here is you can become out of touch with what you've been called to do so that instead of racing to win, 
you stumble across the finish line into heaven. And man, I don't want to stumble across the line into heaven. I'd rather burn out than rust. And God's not asking you to kill yourself. But he is asking you to give 100%. Whatever you got. And to do it anywhere he sends you. And to lay aside those things, as the writer of Hebrews would say, those things would so easily beset us. You know, for some of us in this room, uh, consuming an entire Marie Callender's pecan pie is probably not, you know, not your gig. For me, death in a box. I, I have to, I have to like, in Jesus' name, get thee behind me. Otherwise, it will become behind me. (laughs) For some of you, it's situations that lead you away from your coach, lead you away from the Lord. There are things that distract and destroy your witness. That's some of you. For some of you, it's behaviors that mimic the world. There are still attractions to this world. Look, you face a threefold enemy the world, the flesh, and the devil. So part of your battle is you. Part of your battle is this world that we live in, and part of your battle are principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age. It's real, folks. Some of you don't believe that. And so you're at a disadvantage because you think you're not in a war. You're wandering around. The bullets are zinging by your head. And you're going, who, me? War? Where? There goes your friends. There goes your family. Some of us just got to listen up. You see, Paul ran with relevance. He said, this is where I am, and this is the problems I face, and this is the things I struggle with, this is the battle I'm in, this is the race I'm in. And I am tuned into my race. And I intend to win. You can't be lazy. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm telling you that pastors become spiritually lazy. People in full-time ministry become spiritually out of touch. Don't let it be you. There is a race to run. There is a fight to fight. There is a battle to win. And it's up to you to get in and race and relevance. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. Pastors are going to come forward and be available for prayer. Don't be defeated. Be challenged. Don't be beat up. Be encouraged. Today's a new day in that sense. There's still some hours left that you're going to be awake. You can say, Lord, I'm starting to train tonight.
So I'm going to read a little more of the word tonight. I'm going to pray a little longer. I'm going to set my day tomorrow so you have some more time in my life, God. Run to win. Set some goals and push on till we get home. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us with your presence tonight. And God, I want to lift up. I believe there are people here tonight that are struggling. Lord, they've gotten weary. Maybe there's been no one to come alongside and encourage them. Maybe they're just tired, God. And I want to pray that you would strengthen their feeble hands and their hurting and aching feet. Lord, they've taken a few blows from the enemy and they need your touch tonight. Lord, would you touch them? Would you remind them that you love them? That indeed tomorrow is a new day? And maybe they weren't victorious today, but they can be victorious tomorrow. And when you said it's free, we're free indeed. And so, Lord, I pray if there's someone tonight that's in bondage, that they'd come and be prayed for and be set free. I pray if there's someone who hasn't gotten in the ring, that they'd come and be prayed for, that they might have spiritual bravery to get in the fight. I pray for that person that isn't really doing all they can do. They're just kind of hanging out. Lord, help them to have diligence. God, help each one of us in, in the race that we're running to run to win. Change where we need to change. Be relevant where we need to be relevant. To seek your face in all things that we might win some. We ask these things in the blessed name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen.